What's going on? What's going on? Good morning. It is Monday, December the 5th. This is Alumni Sports Championship Weekend Recap. I am your host, Richard Powell. I am speaking out of Hoboken, New Jersey, right there where Manhattan is. Hell of a weekend and hell of a week coming up for everybody else also. But I do have a special guest also. He might sound familiar. Anthony Rosner, a.k.a. The Roz. I didn't mention that on the last uh, or the second last podcast, but he's the most famous guy to know that he said that USC, as in South Carolina, will be Clemson. So here he is right here. He has a few things to say before we get to our uh, recap of the championship picks. Yeah, honored to be back on the show. Uh, I guess Richard's going to have me back for some more picks for the bowl games coming up, and I, uh, we're going to dive into those a little bit later on. <laughs> yeah, he's right. But let's go ahead and start it out. So we had Friday night. It was Southern California versus Utah. USC was number four at the time versus Utah number 11. So USC was a three-point favorite, but Utah ended up killing it 47-24 as they've won back-to-back Pac-12 championships. The interesting thing about it, USC started out 17-3, and I was like, my God, this seems like a slaughter fest. But Utah ended up going on a 44-3 run. So that's pretty wild. Now, Cameron Rising, the quarterback, 22 for 34, 310 yards, passing three TDs versus Kev Williams, 28 for 41, 363 yards, three TDs, one interception. We'll talk about the turnovers in a little bit. But the most interesting thing I found, really, Utah had 223 rushing yards as a team. USC only had 56. And Jaquan or Jaquindon Jackson had 105 carries on 18 or 105 yards on 18 to carries. Yeah. And that, that already doubled USC's team totals. So they killed the clock. They went on a 44 3 run. When they're up so much, all they're going to do is run the ball. That's what they kept doing. And USC couldn't stop it. And one thing, too, USC had two turnovers to Utah's one. So that's what really set them apart, also. But congrats to Lincoln Riley, USC. They were 4-8 and eight last year, and they're now 11-2. So, I mean, monumental progress has been done there. So, you know, that's something for the years coming later that will, uh, they'll, you know, continue being a powerhouse moving forward when it comes down to that. And then let's talk about Kansas State. This is very interesting, too. So Kansas State was number 10 versus TCU number 3. Kansas State ended up winning 31-28 in overtime, plus 2.5. Check. We got that. Uh, Will Howard, the backup quarterback for Kansas State, was 18 for 32, 199 yards, two touchdowns. Max Duggan, 18 for 36, 251 yards, one touchdown, one interception, but also led the team in rushing with 110 yards on 15 carries with TD. So, again, TCU, two turnovers to Kansas State's one. The game was pretty evenly matched on passing and rushing and all that, but the turnover margin – especially in a tight game that went to overtime, made a difference. But also TCU was stopped on fourth and inches in overtime, and they had about two to three plays to even to you know keep trying. They still can get that. So if you're a playoff team, you should be able to get an inch or two or a yard yet, yet alone versus a so-called inferior team to lead you to victory and you know to solidify playoff, which we'll talk about later. But TCU stopped them, as you know, and – or. Kansas State stopped them, and Kansas State basically just ran the ball to set up a 31-yard field goal, and that's how that happened right there. So, interesting game, say the least. And, you know, 
we'll talk about later about how TCU somehow is in this playoff. But Anthony's also going to talk about the AAC matchup with Tulane versus UCF also. Yeah, so Tulane, they pretty much solidified themselves as the best uh, P6 team out there. Uh, punched their ticket to the Cotton Bowl uh, versus USC. Um, surprisingly enough, Tulane had three turnovers to Uf- uh, UCF. They didn't have any turnovers, um, but they still ended up dominating this game. I think it was 45-38. Yeah, no, 45-28. So, yeah, they went out there. They had almost 700 yards of total offense to UCF, around 400 total yards. So they they pretty pretty handily defeated UCF in that one. Uh, And, again, they're going to the Cotton Bowl, which is pretty big for Tulane from last year. I'm pretty sure they had, what, two wins? Two or three wins. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Tulane was two and ten last year, and now they are with that win eleven and two, if I'm not mistaken. So, so Willie, yeah, Willie Fraser, coach, he'll probably be looking for another job here soon. But that's hell of a turnaround, literally, and um, you know, one year later to make make a flip like that, to say the least. Yeah. So best Power Six team, um, group of six team. Yeah. So. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right, right, right. And then what we have LSU next. Yeah, LSU, they, they got dominated by uh, Georgia. Um, but hold up, LSU, it was a 17.5 point spread. I said LSU plus 17.5, but you said, what, it was, I didn't watch the game, actually, at this moment in time, but didn't you say they blocked the yeah, field goal? Yeah, the first way Georgia scored is uh, they blocked the field goal. The ball was spinning on the ground on the four-yard line. LSU started walking off the field. Um, Georgia picked up the ball and ran it back to the house. That was about like 90-some yards. Yeah, I mean. it was a 96-yard touchdown. Yeah. Uh, LSU thought the play was dead, but Georgia <laughs> knew better, and they, uh, they brought it back to the house. So. Yeah, they, they kept playing through the whistle. But unfortunately, you know, LSU lost by 20, so uh, if you scratch that turner or that uh, touchdown right there, it would have been 13. So. Yep, so they ended up losing 30-50. to 50. Yeah. Uh, Stenson, Bennett, mm-hmm. um, four touchdowns, no interceptions, pretty – Pretty uh, standard for them at this point, I think. And they solidified why they're the number one team in the country. Right, yeah. And at what, LSU had less than 60 rushing yards? Yeah, LSU only had 47 rushing yards and three turnovers. So you're not going to win many ball games, especially against the best team in the country when you're going out there and putting up 47 rushing yards. Yeah, so we'll see how Brian Kelly, this was his first year. So he definitely at least exceeded my expectation, uh, expectations coming in from the previous administration. But we'll see how it is moving forward for next year for them. But let's also talk about the fifth game. So you got North Carolina versus Clemson on this one. And Roz, you got it for a little. Yeah, surprisingly, Clemson um, went out there and really took care of business. Clemson minus seven and a half also, I called it, but go ahead. Yeah, they, they had 68 <laughs> rushing yards. Um, but again, this is a, a battle of the turnover difference. You know, UNC had two turnovers and Clemson didn't have any. Um, not that it really would have mattered because Clemson did uh, handle UNC pretty good. Well, hell, I mean, UNC's defense was last, uh, coming into this game, was last in the ACC with only 16 sacks, and they're, which is actually big on what you just talked about, but UNC was second to last in uh, creating turnovers, and Clemson had none. And, well, I think, pretty sure UNC had 13 turnovers forced in only 12 games. So that's really big, especially when you're playing a team that's better than you. you got to have, have them force the ball over in your hands, but it ended up not working for them. Yeah, especially throwing a pick six the whole length of the field. I mean, yeah, that's right. Yeah, yeah, we, uh, yeah, we were in downtown Manhattan and we saw that live. So that, that was pretty wild to say the least. That was definitely that wasn't a tip ball or anything. Just completely missed the guy on a check down. Yeah, and then uh, letting you know a two point conversion 
Um, the coach's son ran in, a, yeah, in the middle. Uh, right, right <laughs> un, almost untouched, going right up the middle. So On an extra point, yeah, the holder just gets up off the knee and goes in for the uh, – was there up by 20. It would have been 21. They said, no, nah, we'll make it 22 on you. Yep. <laughs> UNC ended up having more total yards by one yard, but in the end it didn't really matter. It was a, it was a thrashing. Yeah, but I, I will say that UNC did exceed my expectations also. Sam Howe left. Drake May came in. Uh, you know, they spiraled downward towards the end of the year. They lost literally to backup quarterbacks the last three games, third, fourth, and backup quarterback with Clemson. But we'll see how it is moving forward with them. But that defense got to get better. And, I mean, even from betting perspectives or even your own team, I mean, the most frustrating thing is just having a terrible defense and not knowing what to expect. So, it's uh, you know, we'll see how it is moving forward for them. But UNC is playing Oregon out west for the bowl game. So, interesting to see how that will be. Now, the last game was Michigan versus Purdue. This was a Michigan spread of 16.5. I went with 16.5, got that one also. But interest, interesting thing about it, <clears throat> Purdue at halftime was only down by one point. It was 14 to 13 at halftime, started out slow. But eventually Michigan just started turning, turning up the gears, whatnot. But at the end of the day, Aiden O'Connell, Purdue's quarterback, was 32 for 47, 366 yards, two interceptions, he also was minus 36 in rush yards. Thought that was kind of wild. Then J.J. McCarthy only threw the ball 17 times for 11 completions, 161 yards, but three TDs, one interception. And the guy who really made the difference for me and for Anthony also was Donovan Edwards. So he was the backup running back because Blake Corum is out for the year, the star running back for Michigan with knee surgery. But he had 25 carries, 185 yards, one touchdown. He just set the game momentum. And he's kept the drives running and the clock rolling also. So, like I said, it ended up being 43-22, 16 and a half spread. Michigan got it. But, again, with similar to, for instance, the Kansas State-TCU game, the USC-Utah game, and this game also, the losing team had two turnovers to the winning team's one turnover. So, the turnover battle – Big, as we all know, but also the rushing numbers also further, you know, enhance your chances of winning the game, to say the least. But, yeah, so that was how it went for all six of the teams on that end. Now, when it comes down to the college football rankings that just came out, some controversy going in there on who should be in there, who shouldn't, but it ended up Georgia number one, Michigan number two. So they stayed put. TCU stayed put, surprisingly, after a loss. Then Ohio State moved in at number four. And number five, Alabama. Number six, Tennessee. My personal opinion, I think TCU should be out. I think it should be Ohio State, number three, and Alabama, number four. That's just my thoughts. There's never been a two-loss team ever to be in the playoff. But if there's ever a team that would have the chance to make that happen, it will be Alabama. But let me know what you think also, Anthony. Yeah, Alabama, I definitely think, um, as Nick Saban said himself, you know, if we're playing TCU, Ohio State, uh, we're playing them in the college football playoff, we'd be favored in those games. Even Michigan, probably. So, yeah, yeah, three out of four teams, probably. So he, he didn't name them directly, but he, he was correct. And he also said that, you know, we, we lost uh, two games this year yeah, by four it? points. Uh, it was a two-point conversion versus LSU. And a yeah. field goal. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Field goal to Tennessee. And yeah, so yeah, four points total in the last second games. Both were the last play of the game with a quarterback who wasn't 100% healthy. My personal opinion is Alabama um, would be more competitive than TCU and Ohio State. Yeah. Um, I mean, Ohio State did lose 
pretty handily at home to Michigan, and Michigan's beat them two years in a row. So, yeah, now. that's the that's the thing I wanted to say about um, Michigan. You know, they, the most points they've given up all year is twenty seven. That was to Maryland at the beginning of the year. Mm-hmm. Since then, their defense has been the most dominant defense in the entire country. So that 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 goes to show. You yeah, know. was it statistically Michigan was the number two defense, but they only allowed twelve point seven. Um, points a game prior to this game so yeah pretty defense is going well for them obviously and and also if they're running the ball and throwing the ball as effective as 17 passing attempts 11 completions three touchdowns i mean that's nearly 33 percent of your pass is going to be a touchdown they're completed so it's real big but again alabama number five tennessee number six so you know we'll surprisingly tcu they kind of just stayed at number three, even though they lost a game. I know it was a close game, but, you know, it was kind of, you know, I, I I thought TCU was out by – I'm pretty sure that the players thought so too by their reactions. But Yeah, this morning I was watching the committee show, um, the selection, and the TCU uh, watch party where the players all gather. It looked pretty somber. I don't think they really expected to be making it in, so this might be a big surprise to them. So it's going to be fun to see going forward, you know, how, they, how they're competing against Michigan. Right. But let's also talk about how, you know, it's, it seems to be just about anybody in college football knows this at this point in time. But Deion Sanders is leaving Jackson State and going to Colorado, University of Colorado in Boulder. So former powerhouse, they've been very bottom 10 this year and for the years prior have not been much of anything. But with him coming aboard, he, within 24 hours, a five-star top 20 commit already went over to Colorado. So, for instance, the person's name is Winston Watkins Jr. from IMG Academy in Bradenton, Florida, but he's originally from Fort Myers. Deion Sanders is from Fort Myers. He has a name. He has connections in Florida. He could bring the Florida speed over there, while Colorado is also in a good spot with Texas south of him and west coast to the west, or California to the west. So I really think he probably could do something out there. He just has a name, and he has the personality that the recruits want. And, you know, but the interesting thing is, you know, what recruits are he, you know, is he bringing over from Jackson State also? Yeah, so Colorado, uh, historically, you know, they used to be in the 90s, a bit of a powerhouse. They actually claim a national championship um, title in 1990. So uh, with that history and then Dion going over there, the sky's the limit. I think he's going to flip that program around within the next couple of years. You know, look what he did, Jackson State, twenty-seven and five in his three years there. So, give him three years with Colorado and see what he can do. Right. Yeah. So now, now that the discussion is going to be is the HBCU schools. Is it going to continue the momentum of bringing the recruits in? Is it going to be more of a hot spot for coaches, or was it just a little fling that Dion just was there for a little bit, but went to Colorado for better resources and better facilities? I mean, Jackson State, they were dealing with water issues whenever he was there, too. So, uh, you know, it's really interesting. And Anthony alluded to it also about how in his press conference or his debriefing of him announcing he's going to Colorado, how uh, Anthony knows more about it than I do in a way, but how he's just telling people, like, yeah, I'm going to Colorado, but just don't automatically assume that you're coming with me type feel. Yeah, so he, he started off by saying to them, I want, I want to be the guys that – I want to be the one to tell you guys, you know – um, I'm, I'm leaving. I don't want you to hear from an outside source. It's not about getting a bag. It's about an opportunity. Um, and then he basically went on to say, J- 
just because you played for my Jackson State team doesn't necessarily mean that you're entitled to go to the uh, transfer portal in a Power Five. Yeah, they're, they're not going to come flocking to you just because you're affiliated with this program. Um, I want to speak to each one of you individually and uh, basically help you realize what's best for you as an athlete and a student athlete, which I don't know where he gets the, the yeah, right to tell these I mean, kids. Yeah, that, that's that's like the nicer sugarcoating way of saying you're not talented enough to come to a Power Five. You need to stay where you are. Yeah, so I thought that was a little uh, half-hearted and a little disrespectful to tell these kids not to follow their dreams. And that, those are the best college football stories, kids who walk on to look at Stenson Bennett at Georgia. I mean, don't uh, don't tell kids... You're not right. talented enough to play for a Power 5 team. Yeah, I know. I mean, we could probably think about maybe Dabo Sweeney's son that ran it up for a two-point conversion. He might have been a walk-on. Who knows? He put two points on UNC, though. <laughs> yeah, so. But, yeah, it's also a mixture of, like, you know, in today's world, some people are very sensitive, and some people don't like it when people tell the truth. Dion tells the truth. Some people like that. Some people don't. But with his players, it's up front and expected that I'm going to tell you up front what you need to know. And... You know, it, it is what it is. I mean, there's all kinds of Cinderella stories that happen and players that come from nothing or people that just think down on them and don't think they're going to be anything, but they do become something. Granted, that's there's always those nice stories, but it's not always expected that it's going to happen, you know. So we'll see how, how it goes. But, I mean, you can rest assured that his son, uh, you know, Deion Shadur Sanders is going to be the quarterback of Colorado. I can almost bet that now. None's come up about it, but I'm very sure for his son's sake, he wants him to go to Power 5 for his draft stock and just further prove you know, his son is the talent that Dion says he is. So we'll see. But off the Dion subject, which I'm sure we'll talk more about over time, but the college football expansion. So it looks like in 2024, 2025, the Rose Bowl did approve the expansion of 12 teams. Now, we talked about Alabama, number five, and never had a two-loss team. Going to 12, you know, 12 teams, uh, you can expect a three-loss team to get in there now. I personally think I think it should be a top eight. I think it should be the champions of the Power Five conferences automatically in there, and then the best of three that aren't champions or are power, considered powers um, outside the Power Five. That's my opinion. But I see, on the other hand, how a 12-team format can help other programs that people would never think deserve a chance. But then, you know, if they get in that 12 spot, then they could prove them wrong. I mean, University of Texas San Antonio last year peaked at number 15, and they were Conference USA. So, you know, three spots in, they could have been number 12 and had that shot. Yeah, it definitely opens up more opportunity for these smaller schools. And making the playoff when it's a 14 playoff, uh, there's really no room for error. Um, people have off days, like Ohio State versus Michigan. They could have had an off day, so I'm excited to see a potential matchup between them. Uh, just the chance to see that again. You know, that, that's what makes college football entertaining. Um, right now, there's three teams in the top 12 that have three losses. So, like Richard said, there would be some teams getting in there with three, maybe even four losses, depending on the season we're having. So it definitely. Yeah. Well. We'll, we'll finish out real fast. Yeah, yeah it, it definitely opens up the door for, like you said, teams that, that would never be able to get in there. Yeah, and if you think about how the top six that came out, three of, them, three of them are SEC. So you get to 12 teams, you have more conferences involved, and it could help maybe open eyes to some people that, okay, this conference actually is not a joke. 
for instance. Yeah, with, with the 12-team expansion, you know, some years you could see possibly eight SEC, SEC teams go into the college playoffs. You know, it could right. be an SEC playoff. Yeah, right, yeah. So, I mean, it, it's, it should be, you know, the playoff is obviously for the teams that have, got, have done well coming in. But, you know, I think with the 12-team or 18, regardless, it, it brings kind of that March Madness feel in college basketball, how obviously they're different sports. Things are different, five men, five men on the court versus, you know, 11 and all that. But it just brings that dynamic and more of the Cinderella feel more. And I think probably how a role is maybe the top four teams in the 12 have a bye week, then the other eight play. And, you know, I just think it adds some, like, an extra element to it. So we'll see. But also it could devalue even more the outside bowls, such as ECU going to the Birmingham Bowl versus Coastal Carolina. Not a fan of it. We're ECU alumni. Not a fan, but I'll make a way down there. I don't know about him, but, you know, it's something, to say the least. And then also with the 12-team uh, expansion, it also you, you got to think about when teams are scheduling their schedules, um, you always hear about uh, strength of non-conference play. Why would teams schedule a, um, a strong non-conference schedule now if you can kind of sneak in to a 12-team playoff field? So it makes you think, you know, they're going to want to get – a, a good body of work in there to ensure that they're getting that, you know, 10, 11, 12 wins. Right. Yeah. So we'll find out here how that goes. I'm actually pretty excited for it. It does need to be more than four, but we made, we made progress. It used to be two, now four, and now 12. So make a progress. But uh, let's, do talk, let's do talk about some other bowl games that came out. And it's kind of about me maybe thinking, I don't know why certain teams are matched up with certain other teams. Off the top of my head, I could think about how you know, uh, number 13, Florida State, is playing a 6-6 six and six Oklahoma who is 3-6 and six in the Big 12 in a bowl game. That makes no sense. I don't know why Florida State would even want to play that game. That's not even a comparison, really. only thing that I think that's helping Oklahoma is their name. Yeah, the, I think the Cheez-It Bowl kind of sold out a little bit there, trying to get, you know, more viewers, more, more fans to come to the game with Oklahoma playing Florida State there. Uh, Oklahoma really did not have a good year this year at all. Barely qualified. Uh, yeah, bowl. yeah they, they, had, they had to be Oklahoma State in a rivalry game, their last game to get to six. So I, I think the cheese bowl kind of sold out there. Um, and then another game that stuck out to me was LSU versus Purdue uh, in the Citrus Bowl. You know, LSU, I think, is far better than Purdue. Purdue got handled pretty good in the um, Big Ten Championship versus yeah. Michigan. Yeah, I mean, what in conference, Purdue is now 6-4 and four after that loss. So you have a team that's just 6-4 and four in conference, and they're out here just... LSU is one win away from beating A&M to yeah. maybe changing up the whole college football dynamic yeah. uh, playoff. So, uh, I, I, again, I think those two games, um, I don't know what they were thinking, scheduling those bowls. Yeah, yeah, but it, all, it, all, it always comes down to money. So Oklahoma probably has a lot of money backing them, too. And like I said, it helps with the name also, so... I don't know. We'll see, but we'll be talking about this more as you know, leading up, and we'll seeing you know the transfer portal opens up tomorrow. What players might not even be playing at their team's bowl game, and that's not even including players sitting out for the draft status. So it's a lot of things we'll be talking about a little bit in the next week and two and all that good stuff. But definitely interesting to say the least, and it was a hell of a week for college football to say the least. On top of that. Obviously, college basketball has some good wins and losses also. Michigan ended up plus eight, got that one, versus Kentucky. UNC lost four in a row in basketball. 
I've never heard of a number one team in basketball losing four in a row. I think it's the first time ever. I couldn't really find any stats about it, but I've never heard of that in my entire life. So USC went unranked or from ranked to unranked in football, three losses in a row, and then basketball number one to now unranked. So total, I'm sorry, I know I'm mentioning UNC, but I've never seen something like this with both football and basketball where in one week or two week span, they've all lost seven in a row combined. Hopefully they can have a bounce back against Oregon in the yeah. uh, I was like, so it's holiday bowl. The, yeah, it's the holiday bowl, and they play Georgia Tech at home. So I'm sure I'm, – I'm assuming UNC will win that game, and hopefully so because they got to get moving, obviously. It's going to be a good football game, to say the least. Bo Nix. Yeah, right. Yeah, so we'll see what happens. But other than that, I appreciate you all tuning in. Uh, you know, if you have any questions for, you know – Anthony, a.k.a. The Rise, or me, please do reach out. I'm sure he'll be joining in more. And also, I'd love to have other people join in also. So he had, you know, the famous call, you know, oh, South Carolina's going to beat Clemson. And the good thing is, it's on record. So it's not like, oh, like, oh, yeah, no, no, he, I should have done this, should have said this. But he had to say it on the mic. So, yeah, so put, was it, uh, put your mouth where your money is, so to speak. So it kind of did in a way. It didn't really, I don't think you had money on it, did you? I, I did. You did? Okay, yeah, all right. I, I all did right. have that pick that week. <laughs> Unfortunately, the rest of the parlay didn't hit. CCU didn't cover against Temple. So <laughs> it, it was in uh, good faith. <laughs> yeah, that's wild. But, but, yeah, but appreciate y'all. So y'all have a great rest of the week. And like I said, let us know. And, you know, to the next episode. Appreciate, appreciate you having me on. Yeah. Next, to the next episode, no Dr. Dre, Snoop Dogg reference on that end, all right? <laughs> all right, y'all. Have a good one. Hey, I ain't going to lie. I really thought that was going to be the ending of the episode, but I just got breaking news. Clemson's quarterback, former starter DJ, I'm not even going to try to pronounce his last name, but the starter for the past two years prior to championship game is expected to enter the transfer portal. Let's stay tuned on this, all right? It's expected, not official.